All right, good morning, good birds. Uh, we had some technical difficulties this morning. I was going to do the video because apparently some people wanted said that they wanted to see my pretty face. And uh, so that's on you guys. I don't know why you would even request that. But anyway, so we tried to do um, some video this morning, but we it's raining right now, so I think we have some issues. So we're just going to do audio, which is okay. Anyway, let's start a show, huh? <laughs> let's start a church service. You are listening to the Nasty Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am... Your, your good old pal, just brother, Uncle uncle Marty Leeds here, okay? Uh, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, and that's why you're here. So thank you. Please let us know if we have some buffering issues and stuff like that. We might have issues because of the rain, and we're just going to do the best that we can. So anyway, uh, we've got a bunch of different things to cover. It's going to be sort of a mishmash today of the things that we're going to cover. Let me get into this before we get into the prayer, and we will do a prayer. We will do it. We will do it right today. Um, there's a bunch of things that I want to talk about today. Basically, what is Gnosticism? What is faith? What does it mean by when Gnostics pursue knowledge? What is? How do we get to salvation? What does it mean by, oh, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ? What 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 does all of that stuff mean? And so we're going to try to tackle all of that today. So this isn't so this is going to be sort of like a mishmash of a bunch of different things I've I've wanted to talk about. And um, it was sort of premised or uh, it was sort of the catalyst of this was from uh, John Vina something he had posted or Truth Seeker. I'm not sure which one it was, but. Uh, in the Telegram chat. So this one is called 102, Sunday Service, Salvation by Faith, by Works, by Knowledge, and we'll cover all of it. We'll, we're going to try to understand exactly what faith is today. So this should be a pretty good one. All right, we're going to do the Gnostics Prayer. Almighty God, whose footstool is the highest firmament, great ruler of heaven and all powers therein, hear the, the prayers of thy servants who put their trust in thee, we pray thee, sup supply our needs from day to day. Command thy heavenly host to comfort and succor us, that it may be to thy glory and unto the good of men. Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive our brothers and sisters. Be present with us, strengthen and sustain us, for we are but instruments in thy hands. Let us not fall into temptation. Defend us from all danger and evil. Let thy mighty power ever guard and protect us, thou great fount of knowledge and wisdom. Instruct thy servants by thy holy presence. Guide and support us now and forever. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to talk about um, salvation. And the. Uh, in fact, this was actually, the, like I said, as well spurred on by Lindsay Smith last week when we did sort of like a Q&A at the end. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't know. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, she was basically saying, like, what do you say to Christians that say, hey, you, you know, it's just by faith alone that you can get to Jesus and stuff like that. Well, I don't say anything to those Christians because they don't talk to me. So <laughs> there's that. But we're going to try to tackle that today. Like, how how do we get to, how do we get out of the um, the sort of matrix that we're in, if you will? What is the what is the purpose here? How do we actually get to heaven? Okay. And that is actually what we're going to talk about today. So the first thing we're going to talk about is we're going to discuss Gnosticism. We're going to sort of like bat down a bunch of the inconsistent or um, the, the accusations or assumptions about Gnosticism. And then we're going to get into what faith is. We're going to go to the Bible to define that. And then at the very end, we're going to actually look at how we can actually secure our faith through mathematics. One of the ways that we can do such. Okay, so this actually comes from, I think this is W.L. Wilmhurst again, 
And this is what he's talking about when we talk about the mystery school religion, we talk about or the mystery school teachings, the mystery, um, you know, that whole, you know, that whole thing. When we talk about Rosicrucianism, Masonry, alchemy, that whole thing. It's really sort of like an umbrella term. And that's what Gnosticism is. And so here he talks about Masonry is not a religion. And we can say the same thing about Gnosticism. None of this stuff is, quote unquote, a religion. It is uh, the but it's ultimately a path towards salvation. Masonry is not a religion, though it contains marked religious elements and many religious references. Neither is masonry a philosophy, albeit behind it lies a large philosophical background not appearing in its surface rituals and doctrine, but left for discovery to the research and effort of the brethren, of the initiate, of the person that actually goes in, in his own, on his own accord, with his own, you know, uh, in, a, like in an autodidact sense, and tries to discover the mysteries. That philosophical background is a gnosis, or wisdom teaching as old as the world, and that's exactly what we teach here. It is a teaching, a wisdom tradition, an understanding, a knowledge system, a branch of knowledge, whatever you want to say, that is as old as God saying, let there be light. Literally. Literally. One which has been shared alike, this Gnostic, this Gnostic perspective or Gnosis or the wisdom teaching, it's as old as the world has been shared alike by the Vedas of the East, the Egyptian, the Chaldean, the Orphic initiation systems, the Pythagorean, Platonic schools, and all the mystery temples of both the past and the present, Christian or otherwise. Okay? And this is what we mean by when we find Christ in all things. Okay? And we'll get into that. So the general name of Gnostics has been employed to, to designate several sects, basically, that sprung up, you know, allegedly back in the day. But ultimately, Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis, and as a, as a term used since the earliest days of philosophy to signify the science of divine things. So when we say gnosis, what we're talking about is a holy science, specifically. And that holy science has been with us since the very beginning, and it has been celebrated by literally cultures across the world for as long as we've, you know, once again, I mean, b b history and prehistory, okay? That science of divine things is a super or celestial knowledge. It is a super knowledge, just super duper knowledge. It's a special knowledge as we're going to come to find. And then we're going to actually discover what that means. Gnosticism isn't just a pursuit of knowledge, though. It actually includes faith. It includes belief. It includes your works. As we're going to see, we're going to take a holistic perspective to this whole thing today. But Gnosticism is also a, an experience. It's experiential. It means if somebody tells you something to like, this is the truth, you have to actually go and experience that truth for yourself so that you can be solidified in your beliefs, solidified in your faith. And that's what true Gnosis is really all about. This comes from William Kingsland. It is my endeavor now to show how the supreme knowledge which I am referring to here as the ancient wisdom or gnosis is embodied in the Christian scriptures, as we'll see today, albeit sadly overlaid with the precepts and doctrines of men. And that's really what we're going to find today is that the entirety, pretty much the entirety of Christianity is something that has been created by the, as he says, the precepts and doctrines of men. It's not the genuine article. What you understand is Christianity today is not Christianity. And that's what we'll, we'll discuss today. Um, this gnosis that has been, as he says, has been taught around the world in mystery school traditions, that sort of thing. It's been, it's been understood since the remotest of times. That is the sense in which we talk about Gnosticism. That is what we originally mean, and that's what we mean. It is a mystic knowledge which affects rebirth into the full consciousness of one's divine nature as the son of God. 
Okay, and once again, Gnosticism is a direct experience. It's not just going to some bishop, some pastor, some priest, some guy that allegedly has knowledge, some idol, as we'll come to find today, that's where a lot of these people are, and being like, here, listen to me and take this thing and go this way and read this book, and then you shall have salvation. No, Gnostics say, I need to, exp- I need to experience it myself. It's not enough that somebody just says, hey man, uh, what's, what's an example? Well, let's, let's, here's, here's a popular one, or unpopular one. Hey, the earth is flat. Oh, okay. Sounds good. I'll just believe it. No, you have to go and challenge it. You have to go and say with your knowledge, with your understanding, with your wisdom, with with the collection of your learning and your experiences, you have to go and say, is this person full of shit? And you have to come to that yourself. And that's what Gnosticism is all about. Now, I think it was John Vina. I'm not sure who posted this, but basically... This was a book from some like literalist fundamentalist Christian, and they were basically talking about what they assume their assumptions about Gnosticism is. The critic, the you know, the the the, the critics, the claims, the you know, the faulty claims is what we're gonna find of what people think Gnosticism is. They take this belief, they these these faulty claims, these assumptions that are completely incorrect. They build their belief system on Gnosticism bad because of this. And as we're gonna find out, and as I found out over the years. Nearly everybody that claims things that what, what traditional, what true gnosis is all about, what they claim is, um, you know, it's actually, a, or what their claims are, are actually against what true gnosis is all about. So they're defining Gnosticism and they don't have a fucking clue in order to make, you know, to make this short, okay? So first, this, I don't know what book this comes from. It doesn't matter because these are the claims that you'll get about Gnosticism all the time. But from the Greek word knowledge, oh, well, you get that right. Okay, that's good. Sentence one, we well, didn't even get the first sentence right, but you got the first half of that sentence right, so that's good. Gnosticism also promotes the idea that God, our dear old dad, actually has actually shared a secret, but he's only done, he's only shared his secrets with a select group of special people. It's just the special ones. And this is what people assume that Gnostics believe. That's complete horseshit, as we'll show today. Since these, pe- since these special people have a super-duper knowledge, they're better than you and should probably tell you what to believe and how to live. This is what's so funny is that when people, because people will call me and ask for um, advice and things like that, and the, literally the first thing I will tell them, and, you, and the, you know, you can ask people that have talked to me. I'll tell them, oh, I don't give advice. I don't tell people what to do, and I do not tell people what to believe. That's like the standard upon which I work. This is the standard upon which any Gnostic works, because a Gnostic isn't there to tell you what to believe. The Gnostic is saying, hey, you can, you can discover it yourself. You can go and figure this shit out yourself. You can experience it yourself. So the very claims that are being made against Gnostics, literally the exact opposite of what a Gnostic, a true Gnostic, really is. So... Um, we don't tell you how to live, how to believe, what to believe, anything like that. We say, hey, this is what we believe, and this is why we believe it, and you can prove this shit yourself, okay? Since these special people have super knowledge, they're better than you. Once again, we actually teach the exact opposite, literally to the core, and have been doing it for two years, on record, in the books, in the documentaries, in the, in the sermons. We're like, no, everybody has the divine spark of God within every single person. It doesn't matter your race, your creed, where you were born, when you got here, when you're fucking leaving, what your skin color is. Everybody has access, the same access to God and the exact same divine spark within. So the, once again, the claims made against Gnostics, it's literally the exact opposite. And you'll get this across the board when it comes to Christianity. Well, we'll find out why that is today. 
wonderfully, this undermines the credibility of that dreadful book from the outset, as if as if somehow Gnosticism denies the good book. No, we actually follow it. And they make, make the claim that, oh, some of the words are missing in the good book. No, no, we don't make the claim at all. Another thing about Gnosticism that you'll hear, and I'm covering this so we can actually get into the faith and, the, and what knowledge this Gnosis really is, one of the other things that is said, oh, you guys believe that matter is evil and, and, and or the body is, is uh, you know, evil and that sort of stuff. And this is what he says. Contrary to the teaching that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit found in that dreadful book, he's talking about the Bible, Gnosticism also treats the physical body with disdain. <laughs> now, there, don't get me wrong, there are some Gnostics that, that actually do say shit like this, whatever, but you'll get as just as many Christians who say, the, who say basically this about the entirety of your experience. This is a fallen world. It's all just a shithole. We fell from this great height and God created earth and it's just a ba big damn mess and that's all it is. We don't think that at all, you know. So, um, so, you know, we'll get to that in a second, but when we talk about the special knowledge that these people claim, no, we're actually saying that special knowledge is encoded within you, in that temple, that holy temple that is your body. Gnosis is not special knowledge, meaning it's not like special as in like, oh, super, super duper, like he's saying, wonderful language that he's using in his writing, super duper. Um, Gnosis is not special knowledge, meaning only for a select few. Actually, Gnosis is special knowledge. It's special, meaning it's what? Universal for all, divine, hallowed, sacred, and thus only certain people are going to understand it. And that's what we say. This, uh, why it's special is that it's actually supernatural. It's universal. That's what actually makes it special. And this is exactly what we teach. And as you'll see, this is, of course, what Jesus teaches. <clears throat> we talk about the universal, universals and transcendentals in all of these religions. How, they, how they, you can you know, cross-compare these religions and find the exact same knowledge base. Now, exact same knowledge system, whether that's through the mathematics, the stars, the morality, a lot of this sort of stuff. And all of these things are what? They're supernatural. They're, um, they're incorruptible. They're, in, they're infallible. They're available to all. They're metaphysical. They're spiritual. Okay? So they're available to all. So it's special because it's special because it's supernatural, because it's special knowledge. But it isn't special as in like, oh, only us chosen boys get it. No. That we leave to the Jews. That's not a Gnostic thing. <laughs> so when we talk about special knowledge, and then people have a lot of fundamentalist, literalist Christians, and this is something we've covered before, I know, a little review, but a lot of fundamentalist and literalist Christians will be like, yeah, they just believe in special knowledge, and then you have to be special to get the special knowledge. You kind of fucking do. You do. According to Jesus Christ, he answered in Matthew 13, and he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know, to know, to know, to know, not to believe, not to have faith, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. So the very people, most fundamentalists and Christians, that would bash Gnosticism or bash this thing about special knowledge or it's only for a select few, it is only for a select few. Those who have actually prepared themselves to receive that knowledge. And this is exactly, exactly what Jesus Christ is talking about. So while people are saying, oh, they only do the special knowledge. No, it's special because it's supernatural and available to all. But it is also special because a lot of people just aren't going to get it. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath, as we know. 13, 13, therefore speak I unto them of their wills, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So accordingly, according to the mouth, the words right from the mouth, the, the pie of pie, if you will, of Jesus, 
He's basically saying what? You have to know, you have to have understanding, and there's mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. St. Clement of Alexandria said the exact same thing. In order to understand this quote-unquote special knowledge, you have to have done the spiritual preparation work in order to even understand it and receive it. And hence why we see why a lot of people don't even bother with what we teach at this church. They're, I don't know what else to say this. They're not prepared. Does that sound cocky? Does that sound, oh, we're special? No, no there's nothing special, quote-unquote, secret knowledge about adding to seven. Nothing. Now, there is something special about people's ability to actually see why that's important, see it right in front of them and be like, oh, shit, that's a two, those are two different conversations. St. Clement of Alexandria said this shit. In proceeding to the contemplation of the mysteries of knowledge, we shall adhere to the celebrated and venerable rule of tradition. There is a tradition about the contemplation of the mysteries of knowledge and receiving it, as you'll, as you'll see. Commencing from the origin of the universe, this has been with us since the very, very beginning, just like Christ, right? Setting forth those points of physical contemplation which are necessary to be premised and removing whatever can be an obstacle along the way. You're removing any obstacle you can along the way so you can prepare yourself to receive this special knowledge that Jesus Christ himself is telling you that you're going to need. And that's the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And you're going to remove every obstacle along the way so that, you know, Alexander or Clement goes on to say, so that the ear may be prepared for the reception of the tradition of the Gnosis. And the ear, of course, wants to hear that what? The word, okay? The ground being cleared of weeds and fitted for the planting of the vineyard, okay? So when we see Jesus talking about this special knowledge that you're going to need, and then people criticize that knowledge as this is what Gnostics are after. It is what we're after. Now, it isn't just a head full of knowledge. It isn't like you just read a bunch of books and you get like this top-heavy head, and then God comes down and like, look, you learned a bunch of shit. That's not what it is. Gnosis is all of these things combined. It's, it's, it's an experience. It's the knowledge. It's the understanding. And just as Gnosis is defined, it's knowledge of spiritual mysteries. That's what it is. It's the knowledge of the mysteries. The Lord gives us wisdom. From his faith comes knowledge and understanding. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom. This is all necessary for your salvation, period. Doesn't matter what any Christian wants to tell you, and we will combat this whole, oh, all you have to do is have faith in Jesus. Do you even know what that means? Do you even know what that means? So when we say, hey, Gnosis is literally defined as knowledge of spiritual mysteries, and then we go right to the words of Christ, and he's like, hey, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The mysteries, knowledge of spiritual mysteries. What is more mysterious and spiritual than what? The kingdom of heaven. Okay? We also know that when people make the claim like this Gnostic crit, like this people, you know, critics of Gnosticism, they say, oh, they think it's just special knowledge for special people. Once again, Jesus says that. It was this spirit that caused Jesus to speak to the Jewish multitudes in parables whose meaning his disciples, like initiates, were to comprehend, but which would be unintelligible to the people so that they seeing, they see, you know, they see not, and hearing, they hear not, and neither do they understand, which we just read. This is exactly, you know, a very potent and pertinent verse within Matthew that we, we just got through. Uh, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. Of course, because why? Because they're going to turn again and rend you. This is exactly the special knowledge they're talking about. 
It isn't special because only some special group of people get it. It's special because it's universal and it leads you directly to the divine. To the divine, and there's only certain people that are going to get it. Now, what we have is the problem in Christianity, and this is a mass problem, that the doctrines of Christianity that nearly every Christian absorbs today and reads from and puts their faith and belief in is literally the exact opposite of what, of what Christianity is really all about. And the tradition, the longstanding venerable tradition of Gnosticism has been saying that for as, as long as you know there's been records, essentially. This is, once again, Kingsland. He says, The study of Christian origins is a very large and controversial question. Where does this stuff come from? Where does the Zodiac come from? I don't know. Where do our languages come from? I don't know. Where does a good book come from? I don't know. We have no idea of the origin of any of this shit. So obviously it becomes a mystery in and of itself. A, a mystery to the kingdom of heaven, if you will. It is quite evident, though, that the literalization of these narratives was due to the fact that those who ultimately obtained the ascendancy in the church councils the people that were the framers of the creed the creeds which have been current for so many centuries so the very uh, the very interpretation of christianity that is on mass being absorbed today in all the christian churches what he's going to say is that the people that created that had no idea what they were doing amen mr kingsland those people that created the creeds that are current in our centuries now right in the, in the current century and, and in the past were those where the people were not instructed in the Gnosis. And that is why today, basically every church can't really make sense of their good book because they are not instructed in the very thing that they need to understand it, and they absolutely reject it and reject an entire tradition that helps them understand it. These people that created these doctrines and these creeds that are absorbed by every Christian, pretty much every Christian denomination out there, these people that created those creeds were in fact miserably ignorant, not merely of the gnosis that lies at the root of these allegories, myths, and fables, but they were also ignorant of the, uh, the, not the, basically the knowledge system that, that brings you to salvation. So when we talk about being reborn in Christ and that you're going to need some knowledge of it, okay, you are. You will need to have absorbed the holy sciences and the knowledge system in order for you to be accepted by God, in my opinion. Now, that's not my opinion because it actually says it in the good book. As you just read, some people are going to get it and some people are not because some people just don't understand. If we want to be a new man in Christ, the Bible also says you're going to, be, you're going to need to be renewed in knowledge. The new man is Christ within, of course. And this comes from, where does this come from? Colossians 3, I think is what it is. So you get right here, it says, oh, you got to put off the old man with his deeds, right? And then you have to put on the new man. Colossians 3.10 says, and have put on the new man, comma, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And of course, we're going to talk specifically about how to get to salvation. And we have to go through Jesus. We have to go through that Adam Cadmon, we have to go through that second Adam, we have to go through, quote-unquote, that image of him that created him. Now, when we talk about Gnostics say, hey, this actually it's special because it's divine, it's sacred, it's for everybody. It's literally in everybody. Everybody has access to it. And that's why it's sacred or, quote-unquote, special. This is exactly what Jesus came for, is to give this knowledge, take it away 
from um, the claims that these special chosen boy Jews have it all. And then Jesus comes. So that's why there's an old testy. And then there's a new testy. And Jesus comes like, I got you, bitches. I'm going to take this. I'm going to give it to everybody. I'm going to die for all your sins. So now everybody has the knowledge. Everybody has that pathway to get to God. And it's not a sacred and profane thing anymore. That is universal. It's for all. It's available to all. And that's exactly what he means when in Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. It doesn't matter what your station is in life, but Christ is all and in all. Now, the Jews don't take that perspective. And there's lots of Christians nowadays that don't take that perspective. Okay? So, now... Christ is all and in all, which means we all have access to it, which means obviously if Christ is going to put himself in something, right, it's obviously going, and we, we know that it's crafted after the image of God, that that temple, that thing, right, that, that physical vessel, if you will, is not just evil and cast off and we can do whatever we want with it. No, not at all. Of course, this is one of the accusations of Gnosticism. Of, oh, you can, you're free to indulge in the flesh as you see fit. And this is why so many of our occult and mystical practices also include sexual debauchery. I have never read, not once in my entire history, of reading alchemical books, books on masonry, have ever one of them said anything about how you should engage in sexual debauchery. Not one. Not one that I ever considered that I took seriously that actually was given me, you know, some sort of information that would lead me on my journey that helped me to come to Christ. Not fucking one of them. Yet that is the fundamental accusation that we're all just getting together and doing some sex orgy. You see how silly this is. You see how absolutely ridiculous this is. You see how nonsensical it is. You see where this is born from literally nothing. Do you know why these people come to this conclusion? Because the very creeds that they are indoctrinating themselves with and with, you know, their faith in Christianity were created by people that had absolutely no clue what they were talking about. Salvation is found in, not in repentance, but in education. We just sit there and educate ourselves. All right. And then they go on to say that knowledge, on the other hand, can be totally man-centered and carnal. No, absolutely. It's the exact opposite. It's within man, but it's available to all. It's actually metaphysical. This is the true holy sciences. It's literally, by very definition, the exact opposite of what this person is claiming. How does this end up happening? Well, I'll tell you how it ends up happening. The modern churches. Because they've got everybody believing believing in a Jesus that they don't have a damn clue or understand about. You can learn your own truth and find your own morals. None of this is true. None of this at all is true. When it comes to the body, we know that it's the temple. We know that, hey, man, know thyself and you should know the universe and the gods. What's within you is hidden the treasure of treasures. That's for everybody. We also know the real temple if God is going to house himself here, well, we should probably do our best to at least take care of it. Not engage in sexual debauchery or do whatever we want with our flesh vehicles and live in sin. This is what people actually believe. These are the accusations that have been made towards me, by the way. And I hate to say it, but it's retarded. There's nothing else to say about it other than it's just people that don't actually want to be proven wrong about what their fundamental beliefs are. Okay, 
So that leads us to, since we talk about knowledge and what gnosis is and that sort of stuff, what true gnosis is, what the mystery school tradition is, that sort of stuff. Then we, we end up with this, this question about faith. Is it faith? Is it works? Is it knowledge? How do we get, how do we get there? Well, we're going to take a holistic approach. We're actually going to look at the entire expanse of the Bible and take it all into consideration and not do what most Christians do to build their dogma, to build their belief system, and that's cherry-pick the shit out of the thing. Okay? So this was brought up last week with, I think it was Lindsay Smith, or the week before, I don't even remember. Time is flying. Um, and she was saying, like, what do you say to people when they say, hey, all you have to do is have faith in Jesus and then you're saved. That's it. That's all you need to do. Okay, so, and, the, and then that, be, you know, begets, you know, begets itself a contradiction. So, and the contradiction is, well, this, this is the contradiction. Ephesians 2, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We'll talk about what the gift is. And we'll talk about what these works are. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so there, this look, those two lines right there in Ephesians 2 says that. It's, it has nothing to do with works. You just have to have faith. You just have faith in Jesus Christ. You just do your prayers, and the next thing you know, you're just going to get ushered right up to heaven. Okay, now you have a, a contradiction in the Bible, and then here's James 2. But will thou know, O vain man, you're vain, you're, you're full of vanity if you, if you don't understand that faith without works is dead. Well, what the hell do we do with this? This is a clear, and if you can read, anyway, this seems like it's a pretty damn clear contradiction. You just have to have faith. No, you need works. Okay, so basically what you have is, and there's this, you'll see this with, um, you know, the Sabbath keepers and stuff like that, or you'll, you'll see it with a lot of denominations that'd be like, oh, I just have to have faith in Jesus, that's all. I don't have to really think through things or challenge myself or actually come to wisdom and knowledge. I don't actually have to know where I am or the lies that I'm being surrounded by. I don't need to know any of that stuff. I'm just going to stay in my little, my little philosophical spiritual cubicle here, you know, push everything out in the world and then just have faith in my interpretation of Jesus and then build an entire doctrine based on this faith that's it that's all you need because you did what well you what, what i call you you were a bible verse pirate you you pillaged and plundered and raped the bible and you stole if you will verses out of context and people do this all the time in fact when i first started getting into the bible again this was one of the things that I noticed of uh, immediately is that you would have somebody that would say something like, oh, well, I'm a Sabbath keeper because it says in the Bible that you have to keep the Sabbath. You also know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's this whole thing called, you know, where you find out about Jesus Christ, the New Testament. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus goes in and teaches and heals and does all the shit he's not supposed to do on the very day that you are now honoring. That is called an enormous contradiction, and the problem is, is nobody faces that contradiction. They just let it go. They're just like, well, it's just my belief and my faith, even though the book itself literally <laughs> contradicts the entire foundation of your so-called dogma and faith. You don't care because what are you doing? You're you're a Bible pirate. You're pillaging and plundering and raping the Bible, taking things out of context, not taking the whole document for itself and being like, well, what if, what if my beliefs and stuff like that are, you know, contravened in a different verse? Maybe it's, maybe I need to rethink these things. Maybe I need to, you know, challenge myself, that sort of stuff. You don't do that. You just, it's a complete abandonment of your own thoughts and your own, you know, spiritual journey. And just like, I have faith. Why do contradictions exist in literature itself, especially within the Bible? 
This is something that you'll learn if you just study classic works of literature itself, that you'll see contradictions will exist, and the writer, the author, puts them in there specifically for a reason. Contradictions often exist in literature to force the reader to transcend the paradox. It's not either or, it's both and. And in fact, that's exactly what you have, and we'll, we'll see this, with these verses. Somebody takes a verse and says, all I need is the faith. It says in this verse here, in this verse here, in this verse here, that's all I need is faith. And then in another verse, it says, well, without, without works, it's dead. So what do you do with that? Well, you transcend the opposites because that's what it's there to do. That's what it's trying to get you to do. Maybe it's not just either or. Maybe it's both and. Okay. This is one that's thrown. This is a Bible verse pirate right here. This is this is one that's actually been thrown at me to be like, see, you just think you're just full of knowledge and then you just puffeth yourself up. And yeah, because it's I'm so smart that I can count to seven. <laughs> so this is a Bible verse pirate that threw this at uh, the Gnostic, me particularly, and quoted this verse. And it's, uh, what is this, 1 Corinthians. Now is touching things offered unto idols. Now, mind you, the context of this is talking about idols, worshiping idols. That's specifically the context. Now is touching these things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth edifieth, excuse me. Um, we know that, we know, listen to this, talk about a contradiction. Ready? Ready for this? Ready for this one? We know that we all have knowledge. Well, I agree. We do all have the knowledge. That was the whole universal, universal, universality thing. It's available to all. It's supernatural. It's everything like that. So we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but char charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know wait a second, didn't you just say in the verse before that you know? And now in the next verse, you're saying, if you know anything, you don't know shit. Then it says in the next verse, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. And then it goes on to say, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, comma, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. Okay, in four verses, you have a contradiction here, a major one. You can't know anything, and if you think you know anything, you're an idiot. But we know... <laughs> See the problem here? Now, what happens? People, so this is what was thrown at me. Oh, knowledge puffeth up. You're just puffing yourself up with knowledge, right? That's what it is, right? And in that same verse, they're telling you uh, what? <laughs> you can't know, but we do know. A literalist looks at that and they just don't know what to do. So what do they do? They don't do anything about it. They just live with a contradiction and they, they say, well, I guess it's just faith or whatever, and then they just move on. Do you know what they're actually talking about here? They're talking about idols who are out there trying to, to uh, fill your head full of nonsense and try to get you to believe it, and they're doing this through their, oh, super, super duper knowledge. These are idols. This is the spiritual meaning of this. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. When you offer in sacrifice unto an idol, an idol is, of course, somebody who is essentially, ultimately full of shit, is not the genuine article, is not God Almighty, and you're listening to this person, their theories and their ideas and things like that, and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're sacrificing your spiritual pursuit, your time, your effort, and things like that, that you could be on a genuine pursuit, and you're giving it unto idols, and you're eating up, concerning the eating up of those things, you're taking into your system all of their bullshit and listening. And this is the knowledge that they're specifically talking about in this, in this chapter. This is not gnosis, okay? 
a fundamentalist, a Christian or whatever, be like, oh, well, yeah, see? Knowledge bad. It says at the very end there, for though there, um, though there be that, that are called gods, whether in heaven and earth, as there be gods, many, and lords, many, there's many lords and many gods, that sort of thing. But of course, there's only the one God, the Father, of whom are all things. Again, once again, universality, the universality of that special, super-duper knowledge. And we in him, we're in Jesus Christ. We're in Christ itself. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, all are, by whom are all things. All things, we in him, it says it twice, whom are all things, and we by him. This is the universality of knowledge. When we talk about eating up what somebody has offered, these idols are offering up, eating up this shit, and those people claiming that they have knowledge, this is the kind of people that they're talking about. The Jordan Petersteins. Yeah, the, the, the Donald Trumps, the Barack Obamas, the Andrew Hubermans, these people that get up and are like, oh, that Dr. Peterson, he just has so much to say. He's just so smart. He has so much knowledge. And you take your time and what do you do? You sacrifice your actual spiritual pursuit by eating up with these fucking assholes are doling out to you. So what happens when we cherry pick the Bible? Well, first off, you see what happens. Somebody comes along and is like, oh, this is by faith only, and that's all I need to do. I just have to have trust and faith in Jesus. And even though I, you really, they don't really know what that means, then what happens is all of the rest of the insights, all of the rest of the wisdom, all of the rest of the lessons and parables and things like that that are encoded in the Bible are lost. Okay? You have tons of issues with people that cherry-pick the Bible. First, number one, Countless inconsistencies. We just saw, I just, you know, mentioned a few of them. Here's another one. Um, you know, oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus then says, I have not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Ugh, shit. What do we do with that? I guess the Bible's just one big book of contradictions and we should just laugh at it and shut it. Or maybe those contradictions exist because there's a higher wisdom to understand. Because you're supposed to transcend those opposites. We'll see what that this is all about, transcending opposites. So we have countless inconsistencies. The fundamentalist and the literalist doesn't bother with any of them. They just don't care. They just let it slide. So, well, I got my faith and my belief. Historically nonsensical. Of course, I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. The Bible doesn't have any history dates in it. There's no, it's not a history book because there's no dates in it. It doesn't tell you when any of this stuff happened. Okay? So then you have historical inconsistencies or you know nonsensical historical narratives in which at least even there are some biblical scholars that have to admit that there's literally no proof that any of these people even lived and especially even Jesus Christ and a historical you know time that you know that most people believe right so what do we do with the the you know the nonsense historical narrative you just ignore it that's what they do that's what christianity does on mass how about the, and when you, um, when you look at these literalists that look at Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ, and they're basing their faith on this, to the literalists, their salvation is based on their faith, not in Christ, not in the actual living presence of God. That's not what it's based on, is it? No. To the literalists, their salvation is based on the faith of their interpretation, that's what it's based on. And as we're going to see, their interpretation is, and as you've seen, if you've been paying attention, the Gnostic Church is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's insanely flawed because they don't deal with the contradictions. 
They don't deal with the mysteries. They don't deal with all the unanswered things in the Bible. They don't deal with any of the math. They just ignore it. And then claim that what? They're being Christ-like. What you're going to find is that these people will hold on to this belief no matter what. I said this before. I'll say it again. I said it several years ago. It's going to be a billion times easier to get somebody to come to flat earth than it will be for a Christian to admit he's lied to or he or she is lied to about the fundamentals of their faith. Alvin Boyd Kuhn said this and who is the king of glory? It will be next to impossible to bring minds habituated to the wholesale acceptance of the romanticism that has been built like a halo around the person of the Jesus figure to any fully detached and emotionally unprejudiced view of the matter. People are prejudiced and deeply emotionally attached to this, to their faith in an interpretation that's wrong. Psychology knows full well the hypnotizing force of the re religious inculcations implanted on the sensitive plate of the mind of childhood. They produce what the psychologists have called a conditioned reflex. This is hard to supplant or overcome by any merely mental presentation. This conditioned reflex, which has literally become the entire belief in faith in Jesus Christ to masses of people, this persists even when reason negates it. Said W.J. Bryan, I would accept every statement in the Bible, literally, no matter how it contravened my reason. The problem is, Faith and belief have nothing to do with abandoning your reason. As we'll find out, the Bible actually says the exact opposite. Faith and belief have nothing to do with one's interpretation of the good book. Nothing. Meaning that if you base your interpretation off the literalist and fundamentalist and you think you have faith, that has nothing to do with it. Your faith and belief in Jesus is not dependent upon the book being historical. As we know, hermeneutics, hermeneutics, is a fourfold patristic approach. It's a it's a classic way in which the Bible is uh, deconstructed, right? Is understood, is how you actually study the fucking thing, right? Okay, there's four levels of it. Literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical. This is known by, you know, um, you know this has been known by Gnostics and Kabbalists and things like that for a long time. So even the classic method in which the church fathers um, that are push, that are presenting this to the masses and the creed that they're following and the doctrines that they're following, those people that gave them that even told them that there's four levels to the thing and that it's not just literal and that you have to actually engage in those four levels. You actually have to, and, and of course, to do that, what do you need? You're going to need some wisdom. You're going to need some learning. You're going to need some knowledge. Okay? Literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical. The biggest problem, and I know this is a review for some people too, first off, literal doesn't mean historical. Doesn't. Literally just means that you're reading literature. That's why it's lit. <laughs> okay? So literal just means the basic basic uh, story. That's all it is. The, you know, it's basically the basic story, the surface line story that allows, to, uh, that carries with it the rest of the, you know, actual divine information, if you will. There's a moral, there's an allegorical, and of course it ends with an anagogical. Anagogical literally means the occult. So the, you know, so these, the quote-unquote church fathers and the Kabbalists and things like that, they're all telling you like, hey, there's, when you actually seek out the real meat and potatoes of the Bible, at the very end of it, you're going to end up in the occult, in magic. Okay. That is the gnosis. This requires you to study. 
This requires you to not be an idiot when it comes to some of the basic things that are at the foundation of the Bible. Okay? That's Kabbalah. That's the seven classic liberal arts. That's understanding the basics of those uh, number, geometry, music, cosmology, etc. The zodiac, the zodiac man, understanding your stars, understanding your language, understanding, you know, that sort of thing. You have to have a basic knowledge of this stuff. I'll say this again, but if this stuff wasn't important, if this knowledge, this gnosis, if you will, wasn't so important, then why did they go to the trouble of putting it all in the Bible in the first place? So that you could just not discover it and just have faith in an interpretation that's faulty? No, it's there specifically so that you could ground your faith in substantiality, as we'll see. So that you don't just get caught, tossed to and fro, as we'll see, with every doctrine of the wind. There's a science behind it. Let me say this again. There's a science behind this shit so you can substantiate your faiths and your belief. This brings with it a stinging, you know, uh, uh, a stinging humil humiliation of pride, as Alvin Boyd Kuhn goes on to say to the fundamentalist and literalist. It's just, it's just the same thing that happens with globies. There's like a humiliation. You feel like an idiot. Some people feel like an idiot. And so instead of actually just dealing with that and be like, okay, I was lied to. Let's just, let's get to the bottom of this and let's find that thing called truth. They'll do what? They'll just make excuses or go off or whatever or ignore it. That's a person that's not on a genuine spiritual pursuit. That is a person that is not on the way. That person, according to the Bible itself, will not be getting into heaven. Ellen Boy Kuhn says this about the literalist and the fundamentalist. What can be said for the psychological influence of the historical Christ is that the concept has enlarged in Western civilization for 16 centuries, if that, a massive emotionalism and sentimentalism arising from thought of his personal life and sufferings, which, if it can be shown, as we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy, if it can be shown that the Gospels are not histories, but spiritual dramas, that their contents were in existence thousands of years before his alleged date, must be seen at last as the most prodigious waste of psychic force, the most devastating hallucination, and the most stinging humiliation of pride in human history. You have to look at everything. A lot of these Christians have to look at everything that they believed, everything that they put their faith in, and realize, oh, maybe I was wrong. In doing that, what it does is actually puts you on an actual path of faith and trust and loyalty in the living presence of God. What else happens when you cherry-pick the Bible? Countless inconsistencies, historically nonsensical, monomythical overlaps. We miss the fact that, just as Alvin Boyd Kuhn said, Alvin Boyd Kuhn said that this stuff has been existence for how long? How many people have said it? There's a tradition of this. It's been with us since the very beginning. When you read and have this faulty interpretation based on your quote-unquote faith, as we'll see, is, which is basically just blind acceptance, you miss the monomythical overlaps. What do I mean by monomythical? Mono meaning one, myth meaning mythology, of course. we basically saying there's one story, and that one story has been played out again and again and again and again and again. And it's been with us since the beginning of time. And that is the story of Jesus Christ. And how Jesus Christ has capitulated in what? All of these different civilizations. 
And this is why you see the sun god myth. Now, a little is fundamentalist because they're, they're historical. They have to say, no, 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 no. No, all of these bad and wrong. My guy, good. And what you do, what, what happens when you do this? You miss the mysteries. You miss the science that's behind all of it. You miss the fact is like, why is Jesus considered the sun? The great solar myth is man's earliest expansion of heart and soul, lifted in grateful exaltation to his maker, has from its earliest and most primitive conception persisted, evolved, developed, and manifested down to our own age and day. This myth, the myth of Christ, the myth of Jesus, has been the wellspring and fountain of every system of religion the world has ever known. From the most primitive cult of barbarism to the most cultured Christianity, the solar myth has passed through every philosophical transformation which the human mind has been capable of giving it, yet it remains, in its essence, essentially the same today as it was in the beginning. And you know why it's been this essentially the same today as it was in the beginning? Because it's based off what? Universality. The universals. That special, super-duper knowledge that is what? Available to all, within all. And that was the message of Christ. Literally the message of Christ. Special boy, Old Testament Jews, chosen people. Where it's our shit. Jesus comes. Guess who has it now? You miss when we, when we, when you don't understand the monomythical overlaps. You don't understand that golden thread that actually connects you to all of these other traditions. All of these other great civilizations and traditions and, and mythologies and things like that. Then you just read a book about 12 dudes following a dude. That's what you read. You don't realize that those dudes that, that dude, that's following that dude named Jesus are all crafted in the stars above. That that story is playing out you know, circular, you know, in a cycle circularly above your head every single day and every single night. The majesty is gone. The mystery is gone. The magic is gone. It's sucked completely out of it. How is this done, by the way? This gets us back to our conversation. How is that, how is the mysteries completely sucked out of Christianity so all you're left with is a shell, is the skeleton of that freaking thing? By quote unquote, faith. Faith. Thy faith in Jesus, a historical figure that was here 2,000 years ago. What else do we miss? We'll go over this and we'll get, we'll get into the, the work part of it now, okay? You miss the proofs of the astrological basis, and I mean proofs. You miss the proofs of the mathematical basis, and I mean proofs. You miss the, the, the countless parables, as we've shown, uh, you know, through the, even the last couple of years, they're completely not understood. You know, if you go to the, 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 you know, whatever, you can go to the parable of the sower or the parable of the ten virgins, when we do a deconstruction of that, it's not we're, our deconstruction is not because we're special and we have the super duper knowledge and we're just better than everybody. It's because we're actually being honest with it and we're understanding that, that these parables have that hermeneutic approach, that there's multiple levels to them. Is there any other church that can give you any insight into that whatsoever? No. Why? Well, because they're following doctrines and creeds made by people that never understood the gnosis in the first place. Basic terms and language, not grasped. Don't even understand why there's a Lord and a God. Why there's a lowercase God. Why there's an uppercase God. Why Lord and God is combined. What heaven and earth really stand for and what they really mean. The geometric corollaries that we can make that have been known cross-culturally and even within the tra tradition of Christianity itself. 
All of it's gone. The refusal to admit any issues with the belief, once again, the contradictions, you just don't deal with it, and the problem of denominationalism. This is all what happens when you cherry-pick the Bible. You build your, upon that cherry-picking, you believe, you build your faith and your belief and your, your dogma from it, right? And then you, you, you um, with, uh, with, uh, throw out the gnosis. This is all the things that happen denominationalism, don't understand anything, live with inconsistencies. So when we talk about that Gnostics talk about, well, you do need knowledge, yes. Does that mean that we're negating faith and belief? No, of course, any literalist or fundamentalist would make that accusation. They're just all about knowledge. It's all about just having a bunch of information you stuck up in your Aries there. Just a top-heavy guy walking around being like, I'm so smart. I know what the 153rd prime number is. <laughs> So, no, we as, we as Gnostics understand it's holistic. So the accusation is it by work, we, you know, it's by faith, salvation. We talk about the great work all the time. I mention it all the time. And we see that this, and this is the claim, of course, here that we make of the Gnostic Church, that we see this concept of the great work in some of the greatest mystical traditions around the world. Right? Alchemy, on the right there, that's the completion of the great work. The magnum opus, that's the rebus. As we're going to see, that's two becoming one there, isn't it? It's two, right? It's almost like a partition was, you know, between those two and it was broken down. And now the man and woman become one. There was an alchemical marriage, a wedding. The hieroscamos, same sort of thing. It's a marriage. It's a holy marriage. The lost Masonic word. The word was lost and now you have to go uncover that word. There's a pursuit. There's a path in which you have to go and gain the gnosis. Turning lead into gold and alchemy. Same sort of thing. In masonry, you have the rough ashlar stone, the rough ashlar stone to the perfect ashlar stone. What is that? That is a process of gnosis. That requires learning. That requires faith. That requires belief. That requires a whole bunch of things. And of course, you have the tarot deck. You go from the fool to the world. All of this stuff is ultimately talking about what we discuss as the great work, in which a lot of Christians be like, there's no work you need. It's just the faith in Jesus and that he was here 2,000 years ago, and that's it. And if you don't believe that, Let's talk about the work. Why is it necessary that your spiritual, your, your spiritual pursuit, salvation, does require work? Well, number one, this just is um, just an understanding of where you are. Our natural predicament here on earth, as spirits housed in flesh bodies, is that we are required to work, to labor, to toil. That's part of the requirement of being here, okay? In our predicament here on earth, you have to, it doesn't matter what you do. You work a nine to five, you got to go work. You raise in a family, that takes work. Are you running a job? you running a business, that takes work. It doesn't matter what you do to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. It's like, well, you got to get up, you got to take care of the kids, you got to make sure they got their teeth brushed, and little Bobby's got his little, you know, bow tie on, and everybody gets their, you know, their, you know, put in their best three piece, whatever it is, and they, you know, their Sunday best, and they go down and you you know, all of this stuff sort of takes work. Okay? It doesn't matter what you do here. Okay? So work is part of our natural predicament. The other thing that's part of our natural predicament is that we are given no direct answer, answers to our predicament here. We're plopped into a place, and basically it's like, what is this? Where would you come from? Where are you going? What is the purpose of earth? What is earth? What's above us? What's below us? What's, what's on the, is there an ice wall? What's beyond the ice wall? Is it a firmament? What is my life? Why, why have I gone through such hardships? Why is there evil here? We're constantly... As soon as we get here, it's question after question, right? Because of our situation, it makes it incumbent upon us to seek out those answers. That's part of your spiritual awakening, 
is to seek out answers, okay? If all these people are by faith alone, right? There's a lot of these Christians that are like, I've got Jesus. I have, okay, cool. Then why are you watching any videos? Why are you why are you like trying to watch truth videos or seeking answers to things and stuff like that? You've already got the answer. What do you need any, right? That pursuit of seeking answers is your quote-unquote great work. The spiritual seeking is deemed the work, okay? Now, does that work require faith? Absolutely. Does that work require belief? Absolutely. Does that work require you to gain wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Abso-fucking-lutely. So let's talk about faith. <clears throat> what is faith? Hebrews 11 defines faith, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty today. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, who are the elders? The elders in this sense are your wisdom keepers, your shaman, your bishops, your saints, your people of the past that had reached some sort of apotheosis and figured some shit out and actually got the gift of, of you know, from God. And they're like, hey, man, this whole faith thing, guys, trust us, it works. We've got a whole report. We've got endless years of this shit working, okay? That's what it means by the elders obtained a good report by it. Then it says, through faith we understand. Okay. <laughs> right there. So faith requires what? An understanding. And as you saw right before, it also requires evidence. And we're going to go and define what all of this means, of course. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. This is what? Basically saying that the metaphysic, metaphysicality, spirit, is behind everything. Everything that we see in this world is not made by the physical. It's made by the metaphysical. And through our faith, we come to understand that metaphysical world, which is framed the world, right? Which were framed by the word of God, which is, of course, the, you know, the, we talk about metaphysicality there. I don't think you get more metaphysical than the freaking word of God, okay? So that the things that we're seeing, this physicality that we see, is actually made by the metaphysical. Our faith brings us to the evidence of that and an understanding of that. Okay? Faith is not blind acceptance. Faith is not blind acceptance. It's like, well, I just believe what I've been told about this is, you know, about the Jesus thing and that he was here 2,000 years ago and that's what I believe. And that's what's going to take me home. I don't need any of that damn knowledge of them learning of that gnosis. Faith is not blind acceptance. Belief is not blind acceptance. This is a good quote here. Faith is neither the submission of reason. This isn't like, oh, just all of this stuff that I'm being handed is completely unreasonable. Well, I just have faith in it anyway. No, the reason it's unreasonable, like if something is brought to you that's unreasonable and your mind and your heart saying, oh, something's wrong there, that's, your, that's God within you saying, go investigate that. You got to do some learning. You're going to have to go and challenge some things. Okay? Faith is neither the submission of the reason nor is it the acceptance simply and absolutely upon, the t upon testimony of what reason cannot reach. Faith is the being... Faith is the being able to cleave to a power of goodness appealing to our higher and real self, not to our lower and apparent self, okay? What you see is that when people have this thing that they define as faith, and it's literally blind acceptance to an interpretation that has been given to them. What happens by accepting faith as blind acceptance 
you know, by accepting faith, excuse me, by accepting faith as blind acceptance to a faulty interpretation of Jesus, what allow what that allows one to do is actually abandon the responsibility of actually doing the spiritual seeking or the, the you know, the work, the great work. When you accept faith as it's accepted today, the definition, not as it's given in the Bible, as it's ex- accepted by most modern, you know, fundamentalist literalists, what you're doing is actually taking yourself off the spiritual path directly. The result is them shutting the doors to the mysteries, and the mysteries are the things that allow you to understand what's actually going on in that good book. So it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So substance, when we say, hey, by the elders, they obtained a good report of that. They followed this whole, in other words, these elders, these wisdom keepers, these shamans, these bishops, these saints of old, they followed this shit. And, it, and when they did, they, they put their, you know, they, they, uh, by faith, what they hoped for became of substance, okay? Substance is, we know what substantiality is. It's a particular kind of matter with uniform properties or a thing that consists, it's tangible, solid presence and things like that. So you hope for things and through faith, those things manifest and they become substantial, okay? Faith is not, as we said, just blind acceptance. Faith actually comes to, um, well, as you'll see, evidence, proofs, confirmation. Faithfulness to a trust or promise, loyalty to a person, honesty and truthfulness. So in order to have true faith, we have to have what? Well, we have to have trust, we have to have loyalty, but we also have to have honesty. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to, when we are honest with ourselves, we have to have, or in that confidence, we have to be confident in our confidence and that sort of thing. Like the thing that we believe in, and have, we have to have confidence in it. Now, if we can be shown that it's like, hey, this is a complete contradiction, and you ignore that contradiction, that's not confidence. That's you being ignorant. That's you deciding what your faith is, not what faith actually is. That's you deciding what your faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What are the things not seen, of course? That's the metaphysical. We'll get to that in just a bit. What does evidence mean? This is right from the good book. The available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. So in other words, your faith must be substantiated in evidence or your faith your trust, your loyalty must be substantiated in, in an available body of facts of, or information indicating whether your belief or proposition is true or valid. That's what evidence actually means. So the further, so what people have in modern Christianity, their faith is the furthest thing from actual faith. Because they're believing in Jesus living 2,000 years ago, and there's not one shred of evidence that he was even here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the available body of facts or information. What are the synonyms of evidence? Proof, confirmation, verification, corroboration, to indicate, to show, to reveal, to display, to exhibit. Oh, this is a good one substantiation so let's reread this 
Faith is the hope of uh, the the hope of thing uh, the evidence of excuse me. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substantiality of things hoped for, the proofs, the confirmation, the verification, the corroboration, the substantiation of the metaphysical. Your faith is based on your ability to what? Confirm, prove, verify, indicate, show, reveal. Okay? One of the ways that we do this here at the Gnostic Church is what? Through mathematics. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What are the things not seen? It's, the, it's, the, it's that super-duper special knowledge we talk about all the time. It's the metaphysical. It's the spiritual. It's the incorruptible. Right? It's that. It's the fact that, do, do you see a physical number eight anywhere? No. Does, the, does eight exist, though? Does the number eight and the octagon exist in the world? Yes, it does. So now we have that proof, that evidence that we can exhibit, we can reveal, we can show confirmation of the thing that gives us substantiation in our beliefs, in our faith. This is geometry. This is one of the ways that we can substantiate our beliefs. This is not, ah, my faith is based on, I'm just going to believe in a whole bunch of crazy mythological stories as true, and if I believe that, that's going to send me to heaven. That's not what the Bible is saying at all. Faith is confidence and trust, because that's what faith is. Loyalty, confidence, trust in the evidence of the metaphysical. And ultimately, an understanding of it. Why is there an understanding of it? Because that's exactly what the Bible says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those old boys back in the day, they kept record of the shit. Stuff's good. Seems to work. Number three, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen are not made with the things that do appear. We understand. There's an understanding so, framing the world, once again, we talk about uh, geometry. Geometry is one of those things that give us the confirmation, that give us the proof, that give us the evidence to say, hey, what you believe is true. Why? Well, because we have actual evidence of it. We have actual proofs of it. The worlds were framed by the Word of God. So, when we talk about, ooh, as my dog's hacking up. So, we talk about the fact that it's like, hey, um, this stuff is based on math and the word of God has a corollary in math and that sort of thing. And then we say that the worlds were framed by this. How do you frame something? How do you frame a house? How do you frame one of those great... <clears throat> Quiet in the gallery, please. <laughs> the worlds were... Fr Excuse me, I'm losing my train of thought. The worlds were framed. How do you frame something? Oh, well, we have evidence, we have proof, we have confirmation. Absolutely. With what? Those seven classic liberal arts, especially the four, the quadrivium, that we know how the worlds were framed. Well, they tell us, too. The word, of course, is the word is what? Sound, vibration, right? Mathematics and geometry. As we'll see, what do you think creates the structure of that flower? What do you think creates the structure of the temple of the human body? There's a whole system of knowledge, a divine, holy wisdom 
that we can put complete trust and confidence in because we can see it and we can see that the worlds are being created by that and it isn't the flower itself. It's the energy, the metaphysicality behind that flower. And that's what, why I keep hammering on the fact that that geometry is it's synonymous with masonry. So when masonry says, hey, this is all about uh, a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated in symbol, and that ultimately it's there to lead you to, well, just as they say, faith, hope, and charity, and in that faith comes a what? An understanding and evidence, which means what? You have to understand what you're talking about, and you have to have confirmed it, given proofs of it. That's exactly how faith is defined in the good book. It has nothing to do with blind acceptance. Okay. We're going to pass the basket. If you would like to support the work that we do here at the Gnostic Church, we appreciate it. I wanted to do this one today because there was a bunch of things that were just sort of on my mind about the faith and the works and the knowledge and gnosis and, and the accusations of Gnostic and, you know, Gnosticism and all this other stuff, and I really sort of wanted to clear the air. So I thought this would be a, a good way to do that. So, um, so thank you all for joining today. Uh, if you would like to support the work, Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri. And uh, we also have uh, PayPal, uh, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, subscribe star, and that sort of stuff. So um, let's play a ditty. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you guys. We love you all. We love all the good birds. And thank you for all the people that do support the work and buy books and, and just allow us to keep going. We appreciate it. Okay. Now, Hebrews goes on to say this. They actually go on to define faith even more. Okay. 
And, and it goes on to say basically this, by faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And then it goes on to say, and then by faith, Noah did this, and he heard that he should build the boat, and then built the boat. And by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see the death, and stuff like this. So they're basically saying in Hebrews, by this faith, by this understanding and evidence of the word of God, if you will, we understand how the worlds were framed, and therefore we understand, hey, what we're doing here, well, that sort of thing. Then it says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So they're saying that without you need faith, but also that God is going to reward you by what? If you diligently seek him, this seeking that we're talking about, this is exactly what we're saying, is the work. That you need to diligently, when you diligently do something, or you just lack it, that requires work, right? The word itself requires, you're going to have to put toil, you're going to have to do some labor here, okay? So what does it mean when we talk about actual faith? Now, first off, let me say, when Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice, this is specifically talking about a spiritual work. Because the sacrifice that, that Abel made to God was that, oh, I, I'm a keeper of sheep. I killed the flock and I went and, I, you know, gave the best meat I could to God and offered him a sacrifice. Is it literally just like, well, he just killed a sheep and then he went up to a hill one day and then he put on a cross and he's like, hey, God, whatever. here's my sheep. No. Obviously, the things that they're talking about right now is the very spiritual work that Cain and Abel underwent. What was Cain? Well, he was, a t- he was a tiller of the ground. He had his concerns in the materiality. You know, the things that are appear are made by the things that do, you know, things that are seen are not made by the things that do appear. Well, he was, he was really concerned with the things that were seen, not with the things that were behind the things that were seen. And that's the spiritual. That's the beyond the physical, the metaphysical. Abel was what? He brought his sheep he brought his Aries, his lamb, upstairs. And, in, and, and why? Well, because <laughs> he was living by faith. He was actually doing, he was seeking and actually doing his spiritual work. Okay? So, we diligently seek him. When we talk about, when we talk about that work, really what it is is faith and action. Faith is belief and action. You have to put these things in action, Right? It is listening to the still voice in your heart and paying attention to the signs and synchronicities and symbols and, you know, all the doors that open up for you along the way and following those leads, trusting that God will direct you where, I spelled where incorrectly there, to where you need to go on your journey. And that's exactly what happened to Noah, right? In the myth. He's like, I listen to God. He's like, ah, you know what? Fuck, I think it's going to fucking rain. I think it's going to rain. I, had, I was listening to that still voice in my, in my, you know, within me. And therefore, because I was listening to that word, I acted upon that. And because of my actions, right, because of the things that I did and things like that, that is what saved me. So what did it require for Noah's to be saved, if you will? Well, belief, faith, and works. When you put faith in action, when you say, what is this? I actually have loyalty. I actually have confidence in that living presence of God. Okay? 
then you actually put that into play in your life. You put that into action in your life. It's not just like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I have faith in him, and that's it. No, you have to put that, you have to literally instill that faith into your life. Because without it, as it was said, you know, God's not going to reward you. This is exactly what, you know, he said, oh, where is it? Sorry. Um, you know, without that faith, putting faith, putting that belief into action, it's impossible to please God. When you put faith in action, when you put that the belief in God, that loyalty in action, you receive fruits from this labor. Some, some of those fruits are rotten. Some of them are beautiful. Both of them are there to teach you a lesson. Your faith is substantiated in your experience of living that faith. And that's the crazy thing. When you basically say, I'm going to, you know, you know, our entire move to Missouri was essentially one big leap of faith. It was basically just like, well, we don't know what we're going to do. We don't know how we're going to do it. We don't know anything like that. But we put that faith in action. We're like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I trust you, God. And I'm saying, and we're just going to live with the, you know, this, the, 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 the way that we, the, the way that we can righteously and virtuously and hardworking and all the things that, you know, that want to make us that elevated person. We're going to do all of that, but ultimately we're going to put our faith and belief into something bigger that's working right now with us. That's what faith is really all about. And then actually seeing the fruits from those labors. And sometimes that's, that fruit is you getting um, you know, fiberglass in your face for seven months. <laughs> that's, that's part of it. Okay? This understanding of faith has fucking nothing to do, literally nothing to do with being like, well, I got to believe that Jesus was here two freaking K ago. Nothing. It's, it's faith in the here and now, in your, in your life, and the very life that you're living, okay? And the lessons you learn from that draw you closer to God. The, the more you, in this, sort of, in this sort of sense, actually live with faith, the stronger you will grow in faith. And then you will see, this is what we mean by the synchronicities, the signs that will appear along the way. To know that you're pleasing God. This is exactly what I say. You can't please God unless, unless you are on this path of living your faith, living your beliefs. And when you're on that, that's when God will give you the signs. That's when God will be like, hey, eh, eh, no, you're, you're going the right way, right? This is one I, I posted. Um, this is one we talked about towards the big, big uh, end of last year. Jennifer and I signed the papers for our house in Hawaii. This is faith in action. This is really what it is. This is, this, is, this is all of these signs that come with your journey that God is giving you to say, hey, you're on the right path. Jennifer and I signed the papers for our house in Hawaii the day that her dad died on August 30th, 2018. We left Hawaii. We ended up staying with my folks and bought a house up north and moved in officially on August 30th. We just sold our house the other week and left for Missouri the other day on a super blue moon. Just happened to be that day that we left. It was not planned. And that was on August 30th. Obviously, none of this was planned. It's just how it happened. And in this entire time of, um, you know, of, of all this, all of these crazy synchronicities happening, these just magical moments happening, things like that, this entire time, what were we doing? Building a church, writing a 550-page book called Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture in the Stars, doing sermon after sermon. I was basically substantiating through verification and proof and giving it to the audience, giving it to the good birds, the, con you know, the, the congregation here, 
the proofs of my faith. And you know what it has nothing to do with? Me believing that some dude was here historically, literally 2,000 years ago. This is living that faith. Putting that belief into action is exactly what um, we, we discussed in Matthew. Now, Jennifer has lived this way her entire life, basically just being like, well, stop worrying about shit. It's like, no, 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 but not me. I'm not. I've come and gone with it. I used to be a lot better at it. I'm getting better now. But um, and this is this whole thing, like, take no, you know, this is Matthew. What is it? Six or some shit. I forget. Um, take no thought for your life. What you should eat or what you should drink for your body. That's what, does that mean you don't have to go to work? No, just just slet, just sit on the couch and slack and don't worry about anything. Don't toil. Don't put in any effort. You don't have to be virtuous or righteous. You don't have to do any learning. You don't have to. No, just sit on your ass and then God's just going to take care of you. No, right? That's not what this means at all. It absolutely requires your toils and your work. It's not like you can just, you know, just stand by a hole and then God's just going to give you the shovel and then by faith the hole's just going to dig itself. No, no. Then this is the whole thing is like, hey, put your faith. There is something greater that's in this world that's looking out for you, that's actually acting on your behalf every single day. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow, neither do they reap, neither do they gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feed them. This is what this whole chat, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You guys know this pretty well, but hey, it's like, you know, um, you're sitting there worrying and taking thought and having all this, you know, uh, animosity or like, you know, fear and trepidation about what's going on. Stop it. Okay. Does this mean, is this, these verses in Matthew where God is like, oh, if you, I clothe the grass of the field and tomorrow and everything is like, oh, ye of little faith, of course I'm going to clothe you. Does this mean you don't have to do work? Does this mean you don't have to read any books? Does this mean that you don't have to have wisdom and understanding? No, not at all. But it does require you to have what? A belief and faith in something greater. Now, once again, the Bible says you can substantiate that faith in evidence, proofs, confirmation. Your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So what are you worried about? That's living in true faith. And that's what faith is once again. It's confidence in a person or thing with reference to truthfulness or reliability. Is there reliability in the interpretation that comes with modern Christianity? Can we rely on that, the, the beliefs and the claims of that at all? No. You can't even prove the guy was here. Can we prove and confirm without a shadow of a frickin' doubt that Lord Jesus Christ is working with us right now? Yes, we can. We have confirmation of that. We have proof of that. And that's exactly what faith is supposed to be. And in fact, that proof, I don't know if you guys have uh, seen this. Let me talk about the proofs here. I put these proofs in a book. Oh, where is it? I don't know. It's called Lord Jesus Christ. It's somewhere around here. I don't know. But uh, the proofs, here we go. So I put that when we have the understanding and the evidence and the confirmation and the way to exhibit and reveal and showcase that faith. Boom. I went ahead and put it in a book for you.
Let's keep going. Okay, so... For this cause we also, since the day, Colossians 2, we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you are one of these people that is like, by faith alone, what do you do with these verses? What do you do with the countless other verses that specifically say, get wisdom, get understanding, have, you know, that all of that sort of stuff. To desire, you might be filled with the knowledge, the gnosis of his will, which is exactly how we define what gnosis is. We just want to understand God and his will and what he wants of us. And that includes, hey, well, that's going to require us to understand some cosmology. We're probably going to have to understand some geometry. We're probably going to have to understand some horology, the path of the sun. The knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The person of faith, what do you do with these verses? We just got to throw them out. And you have to live with the constant contradiction. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every <clears throat> good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Faith with, you know, when they talk about, oh, it's the, it's like not the works and the knowledge that puffeth up or something like that. The works that they're talking about is being like, I'm going to build a big business and then I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to do all this good stuff and I'm going to, you know, and then I'm just going to go hand it in at the very end to God and be like, look at all the stuff I did. No, that's not going to get you into heaven. No, you're going to need faith. You're going to need belief. You're going to need all of those things. You're going to need the knowledge. You're going to need understanding. You're going to need wisdom. And the, and the Bible says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good, works, every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's exactly, once again, to the T, what we talk about Gnosis is. And that I always like this, where it ends, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Once again, we talk about apostolic succession, we are the proof of apostolic succession. We talk about the knowledge system is when, you know, the claim that it's Gnostics, they just have the special knowledge. No, we're all partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We all have access to it. We all have the knowledge. It's who actually goes in through the toils, through the effort, through the preparation of the vessel, through the understanding, gets ready to receive that knowledge. Was this is James 2. Once again, what do the people of quote-unquote pure faith do with this? They ignore it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Seeth thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was his faith made perfect. He put his faith and belief into action. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so without works, without so faith without works is dead also. If works wasn't important, why would there be parables about the laborers in the vineyard? And I treat Philippians uh, four three here. And I entreat thee also, true yoke uh, yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel specifically they labored with me in the gospel and my fellow laborers who's now all of these people that labored and did that work their names are in the book of life (laughs) 
Oh, wait, hold on. What is this then? Uh, yeah, yeah, this one here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto <clears throat> good works. And God hath ordained these works. That's the next line. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in what? It says at the line, <laughs> right before the comma, the good works. We're supposed to walk in these good works. Once again, mo you know, the most people of faith, they just have to throw all that out. And then it even goes on to say further about the universality of this special knowledge. Wherefore, remember that ye being in, time in the times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, and we know that circumcision is not of the flesh. It's of the spirit. It's in the letter. Or it's not in the letter. It's in the spirit. Okay? That at the time you're without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise. This is people that didn't recognize that, yes, God is within all. Christ had to come and be like, it's not just these people over here which they're claiming. It's not just the chosen boys. Everybody has that, quote-unquote, special super-duper gnosis. They had no hope then without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... We're all made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're all in the bloodline. We're all of the inheritance. We all share the one church. This is literally talking about the universality of the Gnosis. For he is our peace who hath made both one. He, this Christ Jesus figure, he made both one, it says. This is exactly what we're going to talk about. This is, this is transcending contradictions. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, ordinances, ooh, interesting, for to make himself of twain, which means two, one new man, so making peace, so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, Let's go back over this. Who hath made both one, and he made twain one new man, and then he brought both into the one. What is this? This is Jesus transcending opposites. The very contradictions that are, giving to, that are given to us in the Bible, Jesus is coming and, and showing that it's like, hey, you can actually come to a higher level of understanding, a higher level of consciousness. If you actually transcend, you undergo that coincidence positorum, that unity of opposites. Jesus is literally like, Transcend the opposites. Make the two be one. Is it faith? Is it works? Is it knowledge? Maybe it's all of it. He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a partition, a wall that separated us. And Christ Jesus came and broke that wall, broke it down and recognized, oh, the two ultimately come into the one. We're going to transcend those opposites. What do you think the alchemical marriage or the alchemical wedding is all about? Transcending opposites. Is there a contradiction? Is there a paradox? Oh, wait, is it faith here and works here? Maybe I have to, maybe I have to transcend those contradictions and make the two be one. Make the both one, the twain now in one flesh. What do you think the basis of alchemy is? It's the alchemical marriage. It's literally the process of transcending opposites, transcending contradictions.
This is the wedding. Why, once again, ask the literalists, why did, for instance, what we had just read, why, why was there these virgins with the, with the oil and the lamps and they went into a wedding with Christ? What does that mean? Explain it to me. And do it so you can do it with your faith. Meaning, show me some proofs. Show me some confirmation. Exhibit this. Display this. Explain it to me. They can't. They can't. So when we talk about, hey, this is what this is really means. This is what this is all about. This is what, this is exactly what we're talking about here. This, this whole process of, you know, be, getting back to God is actually undergoing that alchemical marriage and going through the wedding of, you know, the, the bridegroom and everything like that. And we say, hey, we substantiate our faith in things and the evidence of things not seen. You mean like math. Jesus Christ, 59. English alphabet, 59. Feminine, masculine. Feminine equals 29. Masculine equals 30. That equals 59. Alchemical wedding, 29 and 30. Alchemical equals 29. Wedding equals 30. Alchemical equals 29. Marriage equals 30. 59, 59, 59, 59, 59. What are we doing right now? We're substantiating our faith in the evidence of things not seen. Whoever came up with that rosary that we that we share and that Jennifer makes beautiful rosaries, the 59 bead of that Catholic rosary, why 59? Why are there 59 beads on that rosary? Because whoever created that rosary was trying to show you that you could substantiate your faith in Christ Jesus. You could do it with the medium and the knowledge system that <clears throat> framed the fucking worlds. We share. We share in the universal. We share, all of us share in that special knowledge, that gnosis, that it, we all have access to it. For through him, and we're going to talk about how, how salvation is, is undergone, and that, of course, in the Bible says it's through Jesus. Well, what does that mean? For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. We're all part of that apostolic succession. We're all part of the bloodline of Christ. It didn't stop with 42 generations of Jesus Christ. It continued on with you. Now, therefore, there are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Wait, I mean, I know that we fell from a great height and, and that we're sinners and then we have to, you know, we have to go through, you know, the, uh, you know, we have to do our repentance and we, and that's, of course, what the, what the spiritual path is all about. What do you think this, the great work is all about? Purification of the soul, which is repentance, repentance of sin. Okay, but even though we are, you know, cast down and we are sinners and things like that, Jesus also reminded of us that we are also fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's pretty heavy language. Is that giving you a sort of different perspective about who you are and your inheritance as opposed to you evil fucking sinner? The people that are going around being like, that's all you are as an evil sinner are not 
recognizing the contradictions in the Bible, and they're certainly not transcending those contradictions. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. You can't understand that without masonry. You can't even understand that, that line without Freemasonry, period. In whom all the building fit framed together, growing groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. You're also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. God lives within you. You're fit framely together with all of the apostles, prophets, and the saints of old. And you're no longer a stranger to the knowledge that that divine spark is within you. In the, in the, the James here, it says, it says, once again, this is one of the verses that people hang on. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is exactly what we talk about. This is specifically what Gnosticism is. This is specifically what it means to abandon your, to take up the cross, abandon thyself, forego the self, and take up the cross. Is that what do you, when you get on that path, on that way, what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're doing the will of God. It's God working through you. And that becomes a gift. Not of works lest any man should boast like, look at all the stuff I've done. I don't even put my name on my books. <laughs> gift is the Kabbalah. It's the gift of the present, which of course is Christ. So meanwhile, while a bunch of literalists and fundamentalists are, are looking at a verse like this and saying, for by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Little do they know that that gift is specifically a reference to something they think is devil worship. Kabbalah. Now, these gifts that were given by God and through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost and all the other stuff, right? We know there's, um, you know, seven particular gifts of the Holy Holy Spirit. And what are those gifts? So we're talking about, well, fear of God, piety, 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 piety. Counsel, fortitude, <clears throat> knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So when we say, hey, as Gnostics, you're going to need to know this Gnosis in order to get into heaven. Those are one of the gifts from God. The Bible saying the same thing. Literally knowledge. That would be translated into Greek as what? Gnosis. Those are one of the gifts. Once again, if you cherry pick the Bible, if you're one of those Bible pirates, Bible verse pirates, pillaging and plundering and raping in the Bible, then you have to just live with this contradiction and then just hope for the best, I guess. No, you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need understanding. You're going to need knowledge. You're going to need fortitude. You're going to need strength. You're going to need that fear, which is ultimately a, a reverence for God. You're going to need to be pious. You're also going to need to live out your beliefs and your faiths. And when you do all of these things, God is going to see that. And when you, when he, when you, you, know, when you do, then that's when you get the gifts Here's, this is Psalms. Let's, once again, what do the people that have their entire faiths built on contradictions or you know, have their entire beliefs built on faith and therefore contradictions, their, belief, their understanding of faith, what do they do with any of these verses? Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my pie. Forsake her not. Wisdom is Sophia. That's her. That's what it's mentioning here. And she shall preserve thee, like eternally? Love her, and she shall keep thee. 
Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. That's essentially what us Gnostics are saying. And yet we're like the Gnostics are the bad guys. And yet we're literally just reading the freaking Bible, dude. Exalt her, meaning wisdom and knowledge. And she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Understanding, wisdom. If you don't have your faith substantiated into things that you can prove, that have confirmation, that you can exhibit, that you can reveal and show to people, do you know what happens? Will you get tossed to and fro and carried about with every doctrine of the wind? And every doctrine of the wind, mind you, when we talk specifically about Christianity, is denominationalism. That henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, by those idols that are filling your head full of, ah, they're puffing themselves up with knowledge, trying to be an icon and an idol, and then filling your head with a bunch of bullshit, and it's all by sleight of hand and cunning craftness. And all of those guys do, and that's the Peter Steins, that's your Ben Shapiro's, that's every president that you've probably lived under. They're there and waiting to deceive you. If you put your faith and your trust and your loyalty into things you can substantiate, you get a whole different perspective on the thing. It's a lot easier to say. One of the things that people always say is that I got a good sniffer for telling, uh, for, you know, basically seeing who's full of shit and not. You know, that's one thing that people have said to me a long time. It's like, you know, I, you just seem to be able to sniff out who's full of shit or not. How do you think I do that? My own knowledge and puffing myself up? Or no, I listen to that soft, still voice in my heart, that small, still voice in my heart that says, ah, something's not right there, Marty. Look further. Keep looking because you want to know the truth, right? <clears throat> Wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world. Of course, we know what the world is, right? The world age doctrine, once again, absolutely pertinent that you understand the basic terms of the Bible before you start doing any sort of Bible deconstruction or basing your entire belief system on those terms that you don't understand. The world is, of course, the world age doctrine. It's basically saying, hey, in times past, the world has looked a little bit different. And then in times before that, it looked a little different because those are different world ages. And in some of those world ages, as we know, Satan is, is, takes control of that world age. You know, like now. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air, that there's a, and this is the satanic prince, if you will, that's what? Carrying you about and tossing you to and fro with every doctrine of the wind. And that spirit, by the way, <clears throat> that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that's working today. And all the children that are getting screwed by all of these, by the indoctrination camps called school systems and the LGBTQ and the trans and all this other stuff. That is the, that is um, those idols, if you will, trying to, with cunning craftness, deceiving men and carrying you about with those doctrines of the wind. If you have your faith substantiated into actual shit, you're not going to be taken by this stuff. The doctrine of the wind, what does it mean? 
It's the theories. It's the unsubstantiated, it's the unsubstantiated and faulty interpretations of the Bible. That's one of the doctrines of the wind. As I mean, denominationalism would be a quote-unquote doctrine of the wind. Very much. Denominational dogmas. Any sort of dogmas that, you, that, are, that are being created that are in complete conflict with other things that are saying in the Bible. What are the proofs when we say the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the proof, the confirmation of things not seen? Jesus Christ is the proofs. And the symbol in Greek actually pinpoints it mathematically. Lots of people believe shit, right? Lots of people believe stuff. Believe in my interpretation of the Bible. Believe in this. Have faith in this. Thou believe. This is what it says right in there, where it talks about faith and works. Not you know, um, you know, a faith without works is dead. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. I believe. I believe. I believe. Yeah, the devils believe too. Is your belief and your faith confirmed? Is it substantiated, meaning exactly what the, the, the definition of faith is? I believe. Okay. Um, once again, if that knowledge, if that, if that wisdom tradition, if that, those holy sciences that we uncover every single week here at the Gnostic Church, if that wasn't important, then why was it so painstakingly encrypted and coded in both our alphabet and the good book? If this stuff wasn't important, then why did the biblical writers and translators take the time to put it all in there? Do you know why we're ignored here at the Gnostic Church? Because what we uncover shows that the creeds and doctrines that Christians have been following is literally end up Satan worship. That's where it'll end up. Idol worship. Worshiping icons. If you want, I should have put the video in here. If you want an example of exactly what I'm talking about, to the T, just look up Greg Locke on YouTube. It will literally, this mindset, your faith and your belief in a literal interpretation of that book can lead you to absolute freaking madness. Where literally you're a pastor up on a stage being like, we should wipe out the Gaza Strip. This guy and, pe and churches across the land are doing that. Why? Because they have faith in Jesus Christ. No, they fucking don't. No, they fucking don't. They have belief in the devil. They just are under the assumption that they know what they're talking about and us Gnostics have our heads up our sphincter. A Gnostic, when it comes to what you can know, what you can't know, of course, this is part of the pursuit. A Gnostic comes to understand what he can and cannot know. This is, this is one of the things you'll have to learn, epistemology. Epistemology is a theory of knowledge, especially with regards to its method, validity, and scope. Distinguish, it's, it's what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. Okay? There's lots of things we, we can't know in this world. Right? And we know that. We know that there's things that we can't possibly understand, can't possibly know. So what does a Gnostic do? The Gnostic comes to know what he can know and what he can't know. And the things that he can know, he seeks to know everything about them that he can. Why? Because Christ in all things. The more we know about those things we can know, then what do we actually come to know and actually establish and substantiate our faith in? 
Jesus Christ. We do this because we are seeking knowledge of God's will, not so we can be smarty pants, not so we can be like hoity-toity and put our noses in the air and be like, we're the special ones and blah, blah, blah. No, those are actually the Sabbath keepers of today. Those are the new Jews that are doing that shit. Not us Gnostics. <laughs> and what you can come to know about Jesus, I have tried to uh, at least abridge and abbreviate in a short book, a 550-page book called Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Okay, so we say, well, what is it? Is salvation? Is it by works? Is it by faith? Is it by knowledge? What is it? Well, we're basically saying that, hey, it's actually all of those things. It's a holistic approach. It's approach that actually it's an approach that is actually um, adhering to that wedding of Jesus, that that transcending of opposites. Now, in the Bible, we're told that salvation is through Jesus alone. Well, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Of course, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now we have to get to the nitty-gritty and, and figure out what this is. So, so this is one of the verses. Jesus saith unto him, this is, of course, 14.6, John 14.6. So um, how do we receive, how do we reach salvation? Well, you got to go through Jesus. That's what it says. And it's pretty clear. Okay, now let's define who Jesus is. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What is the way? Once again, why it's so important. It's so very important to actually understand the terms of the Bible and what they mean. The way is the Tao. It's that pathway, right? It's the, it's the as we say, it's, the, it's uh, the primordial natural law on which all of the universe has been given its shape and mechanics, okay? In the, in the, in the moral world of the human being, that way that leads you to Jesus, that leads you to Christ, that leads you to eternal life is all based on that way is putting your faith and your belief in action. That's the way. That way also, of course, when we understand the seven classic liberal arts and we, we, get a, we get a little of that wisdom and that knowledge and that knowing and that gnosis, we also understand that that way is not just a bunch of words put down on the page. It's a spiritual pathway. It's a way of living in faith and living in trust and being loyal to God. But it's also in our cosmology as well. That way to eternal life is, is literally the center of our cosmology. There are a lot of Christians out there today that are literally saying, Orthodox are saying this. I see Greg Locke just did a, speaking of Greg Locke, just did a debate about this. Ah, none, none of the flat earth or any of that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about true cosmology. Interesting. Then why did God take the time to actually make it? So you so you wouldn't you wouldn't have to know anything about it so that you could be lied to about it? Are you living in truth then or are you living in a lie? How substantiated is your faith? I am the way the truth and the life. There is actually a place in our cosmology in which you and it even proclaims it in the Bible and where Jesus went up and out of this bitch. I am the way the truth. If Jesus is the truth, then we must come to know and Jesus is in all things we must know as much about this truth as humanly possible. Truth in all things. So we say, okay, Jesus is that truth. Well, then that means that Jesus is what? The conglomeration of the truth of everything in the world. All things that are true, good, beautiful, that are um, in incorruptible in this sense, of the high morals that come directly from God, that is all Jesus. 
That is all the Christ. So if you just have your faith in a man that lived 2,000 years ago, you don't are actually abandoning the fact that Christ and that truth is within things all around you that you are to discover. How do you discover those things? Will you get yourself on the way? And the life is, of course, eternal life. And where does that lead you to? Eternal life is, once again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That has a place in our cosmology. <clears throat> then it says this. No man, um, actually, before we get into that, before we finish this, when we talk about all things and truth and all things, this is how we ended Matthew. This is Jesus saying this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What is heaven and in earth? Well, heaven is the circle above and earth is the square below. It's the physical and the metaphysical. It's literally everything you experience. The metaphysical world's above and the physical world below. Jesus is all of it. All power is given in all of these things. Everything you experience through Christ. Go ye there for and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. What is this? What is this? Once again, when we talk about the universality of these things, about this stuff has been with us since the very beginning. That's past, present, and future. Do you know how many, and we've, I'm not going to go over it here, but do you know how many cultures again and again and again that we've shown that the Gnostic, Gnostic tradition has shown are Trinitarian, that literally wrap up their gods in past, present, and future, Shiva, Shiva, Brahman, Vishnu. I'm not even going to go over it. We've already, go, we've already gone over this how many times? So now, so let's go back to what Jesus is saying. We talk about all things. We want to we understand what we can in all things about Jesus Christ. And then Jesus in the end of Matthew is like, hey, heaven and earth, so all the spirit, all the matter, all the metaphysical, all the physical, I'm there, bitch. Then after that, where else am I? In all of time, I'm the present, I'm also in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I'm the tr three becoming one, the past, present, and the future. So metaphysicality and the physical, all time. And then he ends Matthew with this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even until the end of the world. Of course, once again, the world is what? A world age doctrine. Even at the very end, all everything and all way, all time and all, everything you experience, metaphysical and physical, I am there. All things, just as he repeats in the Bible. Do you mean to tell me that God's going to just let you come right up into heaven and you don't know anything about any of this shit? Do you really think that that's how it works? Do you really think that you can have faith and belief in the Trinity and then not even understand the basic premise of the Trinity? And how the Trinity absolutely points to what? Christ being within you, in the here and now? I'm asking you guys, do you think that God is just going to allow you straight up? How substantiated, if you will, is your faith? And then it ends with this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> Colon, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So apparently we have to go through Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven. I agree. Now, 
most people think that that means that you have to put your faith and belief in uh, in the, the literalist interpretation of the good book and that this guy was here 2,000 years ago. All this shit happened just as it says in the good book. If you don't believe that, then you're going to hell. And that's what most people believe. That's not what by me means at all. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Adam Kadmon. They tell you that in the Bible. <laughs> you don't have to go crawl in through the Talmud or the Apocrypha or some shit. No, this is just straight biblical stuff. Okay? Jesus is known as the second Adam or the final Adam. The first Adam was there's guilt and condemnation and separation, some old testy shit. And, um, of course, that Adam was built on ultimately a belief system in which we're the chosen boys, sacred and profane. And then Jesus comes along and be like, no, universal wisdom for everybody, gnosis for all, whoever wants it. No, and, of course, Christ comes and what is he? He's the last Adam. Is no sin, our, our sin in him on, you know, no sin in him, our sin on him, that sort of thing. There's uh, no condemnation, no guilt, no separation. No separation. No contradictions. No paradoxes. We're transcending those. The twain becoming one. The alchemical wedding. Okay? Jesus proclaims that he is the last Adam, which he is what? Adam, the Adam Kadmon is the ideal, the perfect man. In the beginning, God created this perfect man, this archetypal perfect man, and it's the primordial man. Now, once again, just like the Trinity, do you know where you find this Jesus figure? Across the world. The symbol of the primordial man, the first being to emerge with the creation of the cosmos is common to a number of religious and philosophical institutions. The Upanishads talks about it. The Hindu tradition talks about it. Plutarch talks about this. The macroanthropos, a colossal human being, is conceived as a model for the human world. Peru, the divine omnipotence, is called Alpha Kamska, the animated earth. The Mandans, the North American tribe. The Tarot, the God of Tahiti, the formed man of red earth, the first man. The Chaldeans, we've talked about numerous, um, you know, like uh, I even think the Cherokee and stuff like that. They talk about the fact that it was the first man that was born, that sort of thing, right? So when it says this Adam Kadmon, this perfected being, this archetypal being that was created in the very beginning, here's the, there's a bunch of different examples of that. That's the Adam Kadmon on the tree of life, the alchemical rebus. There's Ardharashvinana something. Don't ask me to pronounce that, but the Hindu version of this. What is all of this? Two becoming one. It's the twain becoming the one. It's that partition that was put down the center of us that was broken, that was, you know, that was taken down, and now it's all just one. So when when Jesus says you have to come through him in order to see, to to reach salvation, it's absolutely true. And in other words, what do you have to become? You have to become the ideal you have to grow into through your works, through your charity, through your faith, through your hopes, through your belief, through your toils. Everything that you, every, you know, the holistic approach, you have to ultimately what? Become this, fit into the archetype of the perfected man. You have to become the archetypal perfected self, purified of sin. So that you are able to go back up to the paradise and live in a sinless world. So, this is known across the world. Okay? This, this character of this, the first Adam. And not this Adam. This is, this is a different Adam. That's not the Adam we're talking about there. That's Adam Greenstein. Um, so, when we talk about this first man, 
this is um, uh, Richard Cassaro. This idea of the first man who unifies opposites is around the world. Bolivia, Egypt, North America, Sumer, Giraffe, Indonesia, Peru, Nigeria, Minoan, Persia, India, Greece. This is just a smattering, just a small collection of the places where you find this archetypal, primordial man worshipped and understood across the world. Do you know who you're looking at there, people? Ladies and germs, and all those people, that, all those fundamentalist Christians out there, do you know what you're looking at right there? What we understand in our time as Lord Jesus Christ in every single one of these cultures. You will have to go through the archetypal man by him. You will have to become that perfected self, that sinless character in order to get into heaven. Absolutely. What Jesus is saying is 100% correct. The way you will have to follow the way you will have to follow that primordial way that is put down, that is a way of morality, that is a way of putting your belief and your faith in action. You must come to the truth in all things because Jesus is in all things, heaven, earth, metaphysical, physical, all time, always. You have to find the truth in all those things and live that truth. And that will bring you to what? The life. And how do you get that eternal life? Well, you have to go by what? The very first being that God created in the beginning. God created man in his own, you know, God, you know, the image of God created he, he, him, male and female created he, them. He created an image of himself in the very beginning, and you must fulfill that archetype. You must fulfill that image in order to get to heaven, to receive eternal life. That's our goal here, okay? So, um, by the way, I'm just going to show this quick. John 14, 6 equals 322. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That equals 322. Now, this is why it's important to actually have understanding and knowledge and be versed in the quote-unquote gnosis. Because if you have your head full of bullshit, you're going to be like, well, 322, that just means it's directly related to these cats right over here, the skull and bones people. No. No, God framed the world with that math and that geometry. These guys don't own shit. You know what this actually points to? 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Do you know what it equals in Gematria? That universal supernatural language that allows us to confirm our faith? It equals 322. John 14, 6, 322. 0 through 14 is 322. What do you think that is? Well, it's the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the 14 phalanges of your hand. It's just one other way in which the Bible encoded and encrypted that secret gnosis that you could, at some point, if you were absolutely on that path, you could substantiate your faith. This is, and then we'll call this, this is faith multiplied. Okay? Obviously an important term in the Bible so obviously this, this word wasn't crafted willy-nilly, just like none of these words and their spellings are crafted willy-nilly. Here's faith. This is faith multiplied. F-A-I-T-H is 61576. 6 times 1 times 5 times 7 times 6 is 1260. It's 1,260. That's not just some random number, ladies and germs. That's not some random number. In fact, you'll find the number 1260 in variations of it throughout the Bible. <clears throat> Historist interpreters have usually understood the times, times and a half and time, 
1260 days, also known as 42 months. It's based on a 360 day quote unquote Jewish year. So um, 42 months times 30 is 1260. Okay. So you'll see, you'll mention, it's mentioned in Daniel. It's mentioned in Revelation. We'll show here 40. Oh, he was tread underfoot 40 and two months. That's 1260 days. Now I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. One thousand two hundred and sixty. A thousand two hundred and three score days. A score is twenty. Three score is sixty. That literally means one thousand two hundred and sixty. So, okay. So the Bible is, it's not just like, oh, Marty multiplied this and now he's just willy-nilly making some random connections. No, no, not at all. Here's 1260, multiple places in the Bible. Here's faith multiplied. What does this have to do with? Well, we're trying to substantiate once again. We're trying to confirm that faith. Well, we can do that by, with numbers actually show us that how this world was framed, if you will, right? How it was constructed by these metaphysical truths, okay? 1260 is a, is a pentagon and a hexagon added together. 540 and 720 equals 1260. So why is this important? Well, when you look at how the world is framed, if you will, what is the construction, the framework behind the very natural world that is presented to us? I don't know. That's pretty pentagonal if you ask me. Flowers. Flowers display a quote-unquote evidence of faith. The hexagon, I think that, oh, sorry, the one in the upper left-hand corners. That's not a hexagon, that's a pentagon. But anyway, these are all hexagons. So the very world, the natural world is framed, is constructed with this metaphysical language in which we, when we adhere to and come to understand, can actually, once again, give give that evidence, actually provide the proofs to say, oh, oh, this is what's behind this. This, oh, that, that evidence of things not seen, you can actually, it actually shows it to you. This is framing the worlds with that metaphysical language. This is five and six. This is in Hanover, Germany. It's a, it's a big uh, Christian cathedral, and on, on its top there is a pen, It's an upside-down pentagram. Wait, I thought that was the devil worship. Ah, maybe we got that wrong, too. Five and six, the pentagon hexagon. Do you know what that is right there? It's 1260 in geometry. So when we talk about, hey, there's that thing once again in which we can clarify, we can come to confirm we can exhibit, we can display, we can reveal, we can show. This is phylotaxis. So when we talk about that 540 and that 720, building the actual framework and how flowers grow, they go to confirm this in the name of Christ. Those flowers grow with phylotaxis, and phylotaxis has been encoded in the name of Christ using basic arithmetical functions. So whoever crafted the faith and Christ and gave them the, these terms and the math behind it, we're trying to reveal to you, to the people that are reading that Bible, how you can absolutely come to concretize 
your belief system. But it doesn't just end there. So when we talk about why 1260, we're talking about faith multiplied. Six times one times five times seven times six is 1260. Okay? And that gives you five and six. The geometry of five and six. This is the mirror of your hands. This is the basic multiplication table that has been put upon, that God has put upon your hands. Do you know you go from one hand, you can see there, you can create nine or 90. You put that second down, two times nine is 18. There's one finger on the left, eight on the right. You can kind of see there as we go down. Do you know where it splits? Do you know, God, let's, let's start, let's back up here. God has put a natural mathematical uh, multiplication table on your hands right there, display it, children can learn it. And do you know where the split is in the hands? Between five and six. Nine times six and nine times five. That's, that's not gematria. That's not woo-woo Kabbalah. That's not, <laughs> that's a multiplication table that children can come to learn that has been put naturally on the framework of you so that you could come to have faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Five and six. And that's exactly what we have here. Five and six. Now, you know what else is 1260? It doesn't just end there. 1260 is the nonagon. Do you know what the nonagon is? This is a nonagon is a nine-sided polygon. So there's your polygons. Zero, which has no dimensionality. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And it ends on nine, which is what? 1260. What is that 1260? The multiplication of faith. What is it telling you about? Nine, the base, when you end at nine, that is the, the end, the completion of the base 10 system. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine is 10 digits. Now, God, in, the, in our very language, has put that faith, that multiplication of faith, the nonagon, or the, excuse me, the pentagon and the, the hexagon, those numbers right on our hands. And then not only that, we have the nonagon, which is the 1260. And what does that lead to? Your hands, again. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Do you know what it ends with? 1260. And so I wonder, I just wonder what those biblical writers were saying when they said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wonder, I just wonder. It must mean it's just Jesus is here in the here and now 2,000 years ago. Or Christ is exactly where he says he is in the metaphysical, in the physical, in the heaven and the earth, in all time and everywhere in all things. And the Gnostic seeks to find that gnosis in all things. And the big reveal, shit, bro, it's been right in front of you the whole time. And those hands are what allows you to flap them and flap to heaven become a good bike. Okay? 
that's how you become a good brother. You flop those. In. Anyway, thank you all for joining me today. Um, I know it's very sort of a, we didn't go to a lot of star study and, and things like that today, but I really wanted to tackle this subject because it's something that's been batted around by lots of different people everywhere. And I thought it was an important thing to talk about because, um, yeah, we, you know, um, the, the, a lot of the accusations and things about Gnostics, it's just ridiculous. And it really needs to be put to rest because I think a lot of people don't realize that they're actually Gnostics. <laughs> they just don't realize it yet. And if they actually had the right information and knowledge and wisdom and learning, they would actually be, they would come to actually, you know, confirm their own faith. So you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. You can become a Phoenix bird, a Keelaberg, Sigma bird, or you can become Tommy the my bird. And uh, snail mail, of course, Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And you can become a member there. Uh, we have Venmo, Buy Me a Coffee, Cash App. Um, I said that incorrectly. I'm all over the place. Subscribestar, PayPal, whatever. Streaming too. We're not streaming to Instagram this morning because there was apparently some problem on Instagram, but we are streaming to YouTube, Rockfin, Rumble. And thank you to Content, Shape, Content Safe for getting us on BitChute. And the podcast is available to all the podcasting places. Uh, Rockfin, all the sermons are there. You can become a member over there. They've got we got archive videos, censored videos, music videos. All the documentary films are free. And you don't have to become a member at Rockfin, and all the documentaries are there. So I would highly go. Uh, I would highly recommend going and checking those out. And there's another one coming very soon. Uh, in fact, Valentine's Day. So Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, the Sunday sermons. Thank you all so much for uh, you know understanding that you're not tilted at 23.4 degrees and spinning at 1,037.5 miles an hour. Okay, thank you for not being completely retarded and coming to this conclusion. And you can get the Sunday sermons around the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app and the church store as well. So, and I think that is going to do us today. I hope you all enjoyed today. Was was it good? Was it good? Or is it just, are you just like, all right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um... I just want to say thank you to some of the wonderful people. Ma and Pa McNally, that's Pa314, uh, for the package. Thank you guys so much. They sent us some cheese and all that sort of stuff. Bruce Hutton, the math and star stuff I find interesting. Do not understand all of it, but enough to get it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Stay warm. Whiskey and Vinny, thank you so much to Whiskey and Vinny. We got your card yesterday, and we love you guys so much. Anonymous, it's the best yurch. Grazi, thank you so much. Magical Steven, bought a coffee. Carrie Musgrave, coffee. Magical Steven again. David Alberts, Chris Neifer, Counterculture, Marshall Watson, Gavin Cross, Leap CEO, Jeremy Hines, happy rising, my friends. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Leah Steele, thank you. Eugene Jacques. Uh, Richard Klein. For uh, the leader, Richard Klein, a uh, very, very generous donation. We thank you very, very much. Daniel Hager, John Vina, Ray Brackman. Sorry, bro, audio issues. Have to listen later. Oh, no problem. Jared Poole, love you, dude. Love you. Thank you so much. Happy breath day, Marty. I just turned 66. Well, happy birthday. Uh, Janine Grassi, much love to you both. Thank you so much. Virginia Dare, peace, hope, and charity. Yes. Angie Abel. Krista, here at the 11th hour. Hey, that's good enough. Minister Nicholas uh, Sullivan. Thank you, Mr. Nicholas Sullivan. We love you very much. Thank you for the donation. And Alex Meter, Angie Abel, Jason Reed, Gen X Rated, Andrew Masonette. Here's, another, here, here's to another wonderful service. Thank you so much. Broken Bear uh, and Joshua Jericho. The West Bank had a war and God stopped the sun. What is the meaning of this? Uh, I, I don't know. I'll have to probably talk about that, but I'm assuming if God is stopping the sun or making it stand still, that is a cryptic reference to the solstice because that's what it means. The sun stands still. So Anna Medina. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. 
Um, thank you all for being here today. And I have a crazy, crazy busy week ahead. But after that, after Valentine's Day, I'll hopefully get a breath. And that is amazing. So, okay, that's going to do it, guys. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. We're going to listen to another Radiohead song because I was in a Radiohead mood, and that's it. Okay, guys, thank you so much. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you for just being amazing. You guys are the shit, and it's awesome. So let's do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Round and round.